Welcome, everybody, to this the third Contact Trio podcast, episode 1.3, powered by JB Knowledge, the makers of Smart Bidnet, Smart Insight, Smart Compliance, and Smart Reality. I am your host, James Benham, at James M. Benham on Twitter, and I'm joined by Rob McKinney, the ConApp Guru, that's at ConApp Guru, and resident BIM expert, Josh Bone, at BIM to the Bone. The Contact Trio Show is dedicated to reviewing new apps, hardware, and enterprise software for the construction industry that can improve workflows and transform construction companies. Our show topic today is BIM interoperability. So, uh, super excited. How's everybody doing today, Rob? Doing great, James. Josh? Good stuff. Good Good week. Good week. A real good week. We actually had a real busy week all around, didn't we? We did. Absolutely. 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 So uh, today we uh, are excited. We have our our first kind of pre-recorded interview. We had a a really big week this week, and we'll talk about that in just a second. We got a a pretty neat interview we're going to talk about. Uh, But we also uh, are going to talk about news every week. We start out with this week in construction tech. Uh, I thought I'd go ahead and lead off uh, with a few really interesting points of news, uh, either in the last week or, or two weeks, and I didn't talk about it last week. Uh, that I'm really excited about. Uh, the first one I saw was um, the uh, United States tells Google that uh, computers can qualify as drivers. Uh, U.S. vehicle safety regulators um, have uh, actually said that AI systems piloting a self-driving car uh, that could be considered a driver under federal law. That's kind of interesting, huh? It is. It is. Very interesting. So uh, will they be better or worse than us? You know, I think it's it's per person. We have to take that on a per person. <laughs> All right, so I'm a terrible driver, so they're going to be better. Uh, they, as long as we can keep our computers from texting their friends, I think we'll be okay. All right. Uh, That's good. <laughs> I mean, once you build an AI system and then computers become friends with other computers, then won't they have the same problem we do? Well, I don't know. Will they put on makeup behind the wheel, drink? <laughs> Will they try and do stupid things that, you know, people exactly do? Right. I don't know. I mean, guy, guys do stupid things when they drive, too. I mean, it's uh, yep. we, we all do stupid things when we drive. But I, I think the, uh, the takeaway here for construction is that uh, we could legitimately have uh, the regulatory bodies that govern who can drive uh, what type of vehicles acknowledging that computers could potentially operate construction equipment. So this was a Pretty major step forward, not just for Google, but for Tesla and everybody else that's pursuing a self-driving car. I think it's big for construction. In the the next piece of news, I I read just a fantastic blog post uh, by Ronnie Abovitz. He's the Magic Leap uh, CEO. And uh, the, the blog post was entitled, Adams Not Included. I've been really fascinated with Magic Leap. You guys have heard me present about Magic Leap. If you've been at one of my speeches, you've, you've heard me talk about it. It's a, a completely different step forward for augmented reality and really mixed reality. And uh, a concept that he talked about in his blog post was really the digital light field. He calls it a living river of light sculpture. Uh, they're calling it their mixed reality light field. And they trademarked it, of course, already. So mixed reality light field, that would be a Magic Leap's uh, comment. And he said it comes to life by following the rules of the eye and the brain. And uh, I can I can say if their tech actually lives up to the demo videos they're throwing out on YouTube, I'm going to be crazy excited about this. Uh, I saw you share this earlier this week, James, and I took a look at it late one night, and it, it is... It's crazy. It's it's magic. 
more, more so than software technology technology it seems yeah this this is this is the real thing uh, i'm i don't know exactly what to think about all of this right i think we have to uh we have to wait until we can try it and see it if the videos are, are this real, then I, I think we have a lot to look forward to. Also excited to say that Microsoft HoloLens uh, announced that their previously promised Q1 ship date has not moved. <laughs> so it's always good when they come out and, and reaffirm that the ship dates haven't moved. Uh, that, of course, means that the first wave of accepted applicants will be notified at the end of February. That would be this month. Nice. Rob, you, you excited to put one on, Rob? Yes, sir. Yes, uh, sir. Josh, uh, what do you, what do you think? Uh, Holland? I love it. Can't wait. Yeah. So the guys I know that have actually tried it on has a slightly narrower field of vision than some of the other systems out there, but this is a fully functional windows machine. This is windows 10. I jokingly call it windows 10 on your face. Um, <laughs> but, <it's, laughs> but this That's is full it. windows 10 guys. I mean, this is a, this is a mixed reality system, uh, that can augment your vision, can include partially occlude your vision and, and, uh, different than Magic Leap, uh, HoloLens is transparent displays in front of your eyes. There's those that are arguing these will cause long-term problems with eyesight. And so that's just something that we have to pay attention to and think about. Also, in uh, company news, JB Knowledge News, I'm super excited to say that our own mixed reality project, which is, of course, a software project, not a hardware project, called Smart Reality, we actually completely gutted and rebuilt the entire platform. It's called Smart Reality Plus. We officially released it today. We uh, pushed a YouTube video out today that you can go watch and check out. You can download the new app. You can also sign up for an account. We actually have a new account sign-up process and check it all out. It uh, includes Google Cardboard compatibility, uh, standalone 3D model viewing, as well as what we call tablet-based VR. does some really cool stuff with augmented reality. I know, Rob, you got to play with us. like it a lot. I yeah. like it a lot. It's good yeah. stuff. Rob's been demoing it, and obviously Josh has too. And uh, in Smart BidNet news, our flagship uh, industry-leading invitation to bid platform, Smart BidNet, has a brand-new API. We've released that out into the field for our customers to fully integrate a RESTful API so they can integrate all of their data with a best-in-class bidding product, of course, um, being able to, to be sure that their data is safe and secure, Smart Bid. Uh, uh, of course, we're obsessed with security and data ownership and protection of our customer data. And in uh, other news, uh, Texas A&M, our local university here in Nagyland, the Construction Science Department had their first ever Construction Tech Demo Day, and we had a fantastic turnout. The Texas A&M has the largest construction science program in the country, and we had a lot of students. We even had a bunch of industry folks that drove in for this. We had some really great presentations by Rollout, uh, by uh, Flux, by Assemble, by a bunch of guys that came in to talk about this. So I thought it went really well. Um, Josh, uh, turn it over to you. Yeah. So news for me this week, I've been keeping up with uh, the January numbers came in earlier this week, and, and it's mixed. Uh, right now, uh, it, I look at it as being positive. I think just the, the overall economy may be weighing some of it down. But if you look at the startups, uh, rose nine nine point eight percent from December, and, and that's usually a declining construction that, starts. Non non residential construction starts mm -hmm. up nine point eight percent from versus December, and and traditionally that's uh, a decline month. We we go back I think ten plus years uh, for seasonality changes. Uh, usually coming in from December to January is is always 
a slower time for us in the construction industry. So we, we were up over last year considerably. And then on the employment side, AGC released their numbers and we're 18,000 workers were hired in January. And that brings us to our highest levels of unemployment since 2008. So you mean highest, uh, highest levels of uh, em- employment, uh, employment. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, unemployment falls to a 17 year low. So, wow. That's big uh, stuff there. Yeah, obviously, I mean, obviously good news for our customers and friends in the construction business. It is, but with that, there's some mixed results talking about how many hires there were going back to October, November, December. There was some fall off uh, going into January, but eh, that could be a few things. They're looking at it. Could it be the broader economic uh, impact that that we're seeing with with so many things that's going on today with with the stock market, oil prices, and and more? So uh, it's it's still it's out there. I think we'll learn a little bit more. And in February, see where things are there. Okay. And then on the other side, we all probably, most of us saw the the crane accident in Manhattan last week. And on Monday, uh, in reaction to that, we saw uh, new regulations with crane, the, the crawler cranes. They are doubling fines in New York coming out of that. They are doing increasing enforcement on pedestrian safety and putting in some new safeguards during wind conditions, which wind played a, a big factor in in the uh, crane collapse last week. So. Yeah, and, and of course, we follow safety pretty closely in the technology business because there's uh, certainly a good bit of technology that can be used to make job sites safer. So that's uh, quite notable news. Uh, Rob, what do you got? You know, one of the things I saw come out that I'm really interested in is uh, news on the GoPro. So this is a device I have seen used on construction sites for a couple of years. And I'll give you kind of a backstory. Uh, when I was still working in general contracting, uh, I had a project out of state. And the uh, project manager one day sent me a YouTube link to a YouTube channel. And long story short, a trade on a project had been walking one of our projects using his GoPro recording job site footage for days and weeks on end that we did not know about. Now, it it was kind of a weird moment. At one time, I was a little distressed as the risk manager, the safety person, thinking there's all this footage out there that we don't know about. But then the tech geek side of me is freaking out, thinking, wait a minute, how did you do that? That's a pretty interesting idea to get live footage of a job site condition on and on again. And literally, this foreman had the GoPro taped to his hard hat and just walked and recorded footage. And it, back then it made me start really wondering where will a GoPro go and how could you get the, you know, handle this situation. So now Microsoft has announced a deal and I've got an article put in the show notes, basically talking about the, the file sizes. So they have a collaborative patent licensing deal in place. And what it's really trying to handle is certain file storage sites. And when we say certain, obviously we're talking about bigger file sizes, audio files mixed in with video files, you know, because you think, what if you could continuously record and record and record like this gentleman did a few years ago? There's so many applications, I think, going forward on a GoPro where if they're mounted on equipment, you know, kind of tying back to what Josh was just talking about with this unfortunate crane incident, human error is, I, I just still don't know how you eliminate human error with rules and fines versus if you put software in place, perhaps on a crane, but even past that, what if you had a real-time GoPro dash camera video from that actual crane unit showing what the operator was doing where 
you got to think about this on multiple levels of the operator made a decision. Did he override equipment and checks in place? But how would you really know that unless you were actually in the cab with that operator? So going forward, how could you use a GoPro? You just need to be able to handle bigger bandwidths of data. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this deal with Microsoft and GoPro on that piece of equipment and the data file sizes, I think. There you gotcha. go, the black box, the black box of the airplanes. We have our black box now of our construction equipment. Yeah, that's that's actually on the way. has to be, right? That's right. I think so. I mean, like I said, human error, it's very hard to overcome what um, people are willing to do and bypass. But now you could uh, – you could have the uh, the witness statement, so to speak, live from an event. So interesting stuff. The second one that I saw was uh, from Google. And uh, I, we've talked with a few clients recently that were using Picasa for kind of a photo file management storage system. Um, apparently, they're taking that offline. So it looks like uh, March 16th of this year, they're going to stop supporting the desktop application. So some of the people that have been trying to use this let's call this a quote consumer grade photo application for your personal things, but they were trying to bend it to the business might need to do a heads up and look around and see how are you going to manage your photo files going forward? If that was your previous platform. Okay. Outstanding. And thanks for all that. Uh, the, uh, certainly a, a fascinating week in, uh, in construction news, both construction news and construction tech news. Next, we're actually going to talk about BIM interoperability. At the uh, A&M Construction Tech Day, we had the keynote speaker was uh, Nick Chem. He's the Flux IO CEO. Um, Flux is a Google-funded uh, entity that has been charged with really fulfilling Google X's core mission, which was to impact the lives of 100 million people on Earth. Uh, Flux is part of that commission. And they're trying to really write the fabric that could interconnect a lot of different construction technology and construction apps, but not connect it in the way that's traditionally been done. Uh, connecting it by sectioning data off and allowing you to uh, integrate uh, something from Revit with Rhino, Grasshopper, Excel. There's a bunch of different tools that you can write in. And of course, they produced a software development kit for nerds like us to actually write our own integration pieces. And it allows for real-time push and pull of data. So you can actually pick just a section of a Revit model, dump those quantities out into an Excel sheet live, update data in the Excel sheet, have it pushed back into Revit live. So it does some very interesting things with real-time data, real-time push and pull, the integration between systems, integration between disparate parties. So I actually uh, have a pre-recorded interview from uh, yesterday with uh, Nick Chem. So I'm actually going to play that now, uh, let everybody listen to it, then we'll have some discussion on what we think the future of Flux and the, uh, the project there is for construction. So here goes the interview with Nick Chem, CEO of Flux Company. And uh, Nick was actually... Hey everybody, this is James from Contact Trio. I'm here with Rob McKinney. Hello everyone. And um, we're here with uh, Nick Chim from uh, Flux.io. Flux is a Google-funded uh, company, and uh, Nick was actually an engineer at Google, right? Yep. Hello. Yep. So um, uh, he's here at Texas A&M Construction Tech Demo Day, and uh, he's explaining how Flux works to the over 1,200 construction science students at uh, A&M. It's his first time to the prairie, and uh, I think a bit of a culture shock from uh, the Bay Area. Uh, Nick, any, any initial thoughts? Uh, I learned about uh, the existence of fire ants. 
<laughs> we do have we do have we do have a lot of fire ants here. I was just told about it. Oh, you were just told about it. You didn't experience it. It's hellacious. My, I married a girl from Michigan, and uh, I can tell you she did not understand that when you stepped in an ant pile here, you might actually die. So it's kind of intense. You also got to meet the mascot for Texas A&M, Miss Reveille. What would you think? Nice, nice dog. Right? Very nice. Yeah, she's, she's pretty. She's a pedigree. So um, Nick, if you could just kind of really briefly go over um, your solution, Flux. I mean, you started out with Metro. Metro was an amazing, mind-blowing tool. Uh, that evidently took thousands of man hours of development. And uh, what was the main objective? Was it an experiment uh, just to test the market? Yeah, I mean, we were interested in what was possible when you integrate um, data with analytics and visualization into into one uh, user experience. And so, and we thought that urban planning was such a critical input into the, the building design and construction and uh, so we invested uh, uh, R&D effort in understanding that world and, and Metro was essentially a byproduct of that work. Did you find Austin to have a complex land and development and building code? Um, I think it's moderate. Um, I think you know maybe it, on, 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 by Texas standards it's probably complicated. Um, but we also spend time looking at San Francisco <laughs> and looking at New York and looking at Washington, D.C. Um, I, think, um, I think from that standpoint, Austin probably is a little simpler. And, and uh, earlier I asked you the question about machine learning, and you said that machine learning really wouldn't help in this situation with Metro in trying to organize that diverse of a data set because there's too much human error in uh, planning and land development code. I don't know if it's human error. I think um, – or, or subjectivity. Maybe I think yeah, is the better and word. subjectivity almost by design, and because um, you know a lot of times when you write these rules, you haven't hashed out all the details yet, and so you leave some amount of vagueness uh, to be interpreted by future generations. And I think uh, I think because of that, it's hard to be really uh, uh, accurate or correct. There's no there's no there's no correct answer in some of this, and computers are. Are very uh, uh, don't work very well when when uh, there's no standard for correctness. Yeah, they they like zeros or ones. They like black or white uh, twos. Uh, fuzzy logic doesn't work too well yeah, we, when it comes to programming, does if it? If you look closely at Nuentro, we actually solve one fuzzy problem. Is if you look at height limits, um, so there are certain parts of parcels in Metro that have kind of this graded. Uh, gradiated or gradient background, sort of transparent gradient background, and what that does is, it indicates that roughly the height should end here, but it could be below or above. <laughs> I noticed that in your downtown Austin building, the the, the, the top part was gradiated. Yeah. Only the ones that are in question, we we uh, we, we we don't we uh, we uh, we gradiate. Yeah, we're saying that that's room for further research, in other words. And I, I, I loved how it handled shading and light, um, lines of sight to the Capitol Dome. Uh, the ability to, to model and map around heritage trees in downtown Austin. It, for me, it was a model of automated urban planning to some extent. Uh, but that's not really what Flux is about now. I mean, Flux is really building uh, for the building industry, the AEC industry, the fabric that could finally connect all of these disparate parts. Now, you're not a construction guy. You're not a building guy. You're a technology guy. You have an aerospace engineering degree. Uh, you went to Stanford for your master's degree, right? Is that that's correct? And and, and you're I mean you're a you're a technology guy. So the AEC business had to be a fascinating uh, dichotomy or a fascinating plate of spaghetti to try and unravel. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think every industry has its complexities. Um, I think um, the 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 design and construction of buildings um, logically is not that complicated. I think the the players and the all their interests and their tools and and all the processes make that make it a lot more complicated. But if you actually look at what you're trying to do. Um, it's uh, it's not that hard to uh, put all the parts together. But I mean, why not the insurance business? Why not try to do this with claim data, underwriting, premiums? I mean, why, why, why AEC? So we have a sort of passion for um, improving the quality and sustainability of buildings all around the world, and so, and our approach is if we can help improve the quality of design, we can make a very significant impact um, for for uh, sustainability and so so I think we're in a way we didn't we're not here to necessarily solve the industry's problem we're here to figure out how to provide more equitable durable and sustainable uh, housing and built environment for the human population and so it turns out that it is the responsibility of the construction industry to deliver on that uh, so this really goes back to Google X's charter then of improving the lives of 100 million people. I mean, what was that like to, to be in in the early stages of Google X? I mean, as with any new organization, there's a, there's a lot of optimism and sometimes over-optimism. And, uh, but it, I think it's okay. I think we should always dedicate a certain amount of our R&D resources to solving problems that uh, can make really impactful change, but also accept the fact that some of these will fail. Um, and uh, so there is innovation that is evolutionary, and then there's there's uh, uh, innovation that is going to be discontinuous. And I think we need to making uh, investments in in both of those areas. Now, Flux uh, being the fabric that connects all these tools. Let's just start with Revit, Rhino. Grasshopper, Excel, you're connecting common design and computational tools together using a real-time framework that can allow you to push and pull data to and from Flux to interchange components of data. So I don't have to actually send somebody an entire Revit file anymore, do I? I can actually select components to share with them that they can then bake into whatever application on their side. That's correct. So you can select by category, family, family type, and you can also uh, union those selections. So today, when you create a schedule in Revit, you can only select a single family. And uh, so if you have a structure system that contain multiple um, families, you have to construct multiple schedules. And so um, I think one of the neat things we did with Flux is we transcended that by allowing you to select uh, multiple sets. Okay, so... Um so in, in, the, um, in the area of um, APIs, uh, let's say we have an, a web-based product in construction that's got an extensible API. Mm -hmm. uh, can Flux point at that API, read all of the data elements that would come off the web methods, and then allow you to push and pull to the API? Yeah, so I'm going to get a little pedantic here. Uh, Flux can't actually do that. What you would, uh, But you can achieve the same effect by using our software development kit that will then... Uh, access Flux uh, from your application. Um, in the future, we might support the ability for Flux to do the querying, but for now, 
it's the responsibility of the uh, of the other program mm. to connect to Flux. So construction software providers that, and we've got a, a bunch that listen to this podcast, they're going to actually have to write their own agent that sits on their server, connects to Flux, and then pipes it into their API. So well, it's a plugin in their existing application. So yeah. Like well, that's for on-premise. Yeah. Yeah, but for us cloud-based providers, we're gonna we're gonna write a, a, a cloud-based app that sits between a little bit of middleware that sits between Flux and our API. And we have a very robust notification system, so uh, whoever implements the uh, the uh, in- interfaces, uh, the two-way notification will allow synchronization. So, um, so it's not uh, so it's not like you know the person receiving or sending is dominant over the other. They can essentially be equal partners. All right, so. We understand the, the, the fundamental premise. That's two-way, real-time communication of uh, elements or groups of elements between all of these different platforms. Um, what's the end game? I think this is the uh, really important fundamental infrastructure for interoperability and collaboration. And so I think beyond that, really want to help this industry share knowledge. And because that's the way we make collective progress is to build on each other's work. And so you need platforms and tools that could support that type of collaboration and continuous improvement. And so that's where we're going to be spending time next. So you're going to, we're, we're going to see tool libraries that sit on top of the core fabric of Flux that we can then embed into applications and use as transformation agents. So like you said, it's tools built with tools. So you had to build the base tool first so you could build the more advanced tools next. So the lathe, the lathe, the, the lathe to build the lathe. Fascinating. Anything else that you want uh, construction technology uh, fanatics to, to know about? No, good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes and for coming to uh, Aggieland. Uh, we certainly appreciate having you here and hope that uh, you enjoyed your time in, uh, in College Station. Great. Thank you. So that was our interview uh, yesterday with, uh, with Nick Chem of Flux. Uh, I'll just kind of open it up. Josh, uh, you're, my, you're my resident BIM expert. This isn't all about BIM. This is about a lot more than just BIM, right? This is about connecting all of the fabric of construction technology together. That's but I'd, right. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on uh, where you think uh, this could, could work, though, for BIM. You know, this is, is a great topic because it, it's, it's a hot topic right now in the industry, James, when it comes to when we, we use the term interoperability. Flux is taking a, a different look at this. They are, they're, they're coming at it from a different approach, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I've been keeping up with them now since, I, I guess, going back to June. And they're going to be adding more plugins. Today, as you said, it, it's the primary connection is with Excel, with Revit, and then going into, you have the plugins with Dynamo, with uh, Grasshopper and, and uh, some other connections there as well. That, that's not those tools are not being Revit's being used a lot, but some of the other tools are not being used so frequently. So, what we have to start looking at from an interoperability standpoint, this is a different approach than where we are today from a federated model standpoint. That, that's where we are today to bring our models together. We have to limit our liability and issues that. If you make a contribution from as an author of a model, James, Rob creates a model, I create a model, we don't want to have a, a way today that Rob could accidentally change my model. I, I don't want to see the structural steel model be accidentally changed by a mechanical engineer to move something to make things fit for them. So where we are today from an interoperability standpoint is using model review tools 
like Celebri, like Navisworks, Tecla BIM site, which is, is free. And then we have our, our friends over at BIMTrack as well. Yeah, that's where we are today. And it's a very different approach than where we are today at what Flux is looking at. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about that, uh, where they're going. Awesome. A lot of things with IFC. I mean, you have to think about this. There's 183 IFC. IFC stands for Industry Foundation Classes software, compatible software solutions out there today. So we've got to start pulling these together. Each one has its own focus and its own niche. So, Rob, you had a concept called App Alchemy that this really dovetails pretty well into. Absolutely, James. A couple of years ago, you know, when I first started getting a little bit of frustration from some of the field superintendents of using multiple apps that didn't talk to each other, that's kind of when I started reaching out to different solutions about trying to, at, you know, at that time for me to understand how to connect them better through a cloud connection or encourage them to do the open API. So it's just this like the realization of a dream for me to see how multiple platforms can move micro amounts of data or massive, you know, macro amounts of data back and forth in real time and achieve what I was calling this app alchemy, this recipe of how do you kind of make app gold where things can be connected and they, uh, they seem to have pulled it off. Yeah. They've, they've got a really great solution and, and I, I'm really very personally excited to see where this goes. Uh, they will be charging uh, in the future for this service. It's in beta right now. So it's just in a, well, I don't know if they're calling it beta, but this is their initial uh, release. He's calling it the core fabric uh, he indicated uh, to me that there'd be some type of transactional charging system. If you use it a lot, you pay more. If you use it a little bit, you pay less. What I really loved that I heard, guys, was that they do not claim a license to or ownership of the data that goes over their network. And you guys know that's a big, that's a, nice. big a big thing for me is data ownership. Construction companies have to always check. That's why the old saying from Tim Cook, uh, when an online service is free, you're not the customer, you're the product. And, and we don't want our construction companies being the product with their data. And uh, so the really cool thing is you can use Flux. Uh, it will be a transactional paid platform, and uh, they will not claim ownership over the data because I did really directly ask on that, that territory. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, they're not the only guys out there offering interoperability, but uh, with the power of uh, the cloud of Google behind them, certainly um, you really need to pay attention. And it was a beautiful demo. Uh, also, a real pleasure meeting meeting Nick. He's a, a great guy, and enjoyed uh, interviewing them, interviewing him, and, and uh, look forward to seeing what else they come out with. Uh, so, guys, that's that's really it today. Uh, we we need to wrap it up and look forward to our next episode. I just want to thank everybody for joining us today for episode one point three of the Contact Trio podcast. Please join us next week for episode one point four, where we'll discuss hypermodeling. That's connecting. 2D plans to 3D models. To learn more about apps, workflows, and hardware, please follow us on social media at jbknowledge. That would be jbknowledge.com. Uh, my Twitter handle, James, is at James M. Benham. Website's jamesbenham.com. Rob is at conappguru. That's conappguru.com. Josh is at bim to the bone. And uh, again, just want to thank everybody for listening to our show. To listen to this show, go to the new show website. That's jbknowledge.com slash contact trio. Stay tuned for more to come. This is the Contact Trio signing out.